Oh, wow. But then, you know, I got to Monday after, after, this, uh, after doing the parable of the soils, and, I, and uh, Dara just read that wonderful section of Scripture from Luke 8, and uh, here is Jesus out in the storm, and, and, I, and I'm thinking, maybe it was just because it was Monday and it was the ice storm and all of that, and I realized i got to prepare another message for next week. You know, you get that sort of feeling, feeling, feeling on Monday particularly, and... Uh, and what I said to myself is some passages in the Bible are sometimes just too much. They're just too much on first reading. Now, I mean, I don't know how you read the Bible or how you treat it, but, but if I'm really, really honest, sometimes I'm going, I, I'm not getting that. Or, or, it's, or it's just, I'm, I'm not, it's not resonating with where I am. And this, the only way I could put it is this one qualified as too much for the first part of the week if I was really honest. That is the story that Dara just read about Jesus out uh, in the boat sleeping, and a storm comes up, and there are four little verses, and I'm thinking, here are my reasons why I didn't like the story, at least earlier in the week. Number one, it's so familiar that while it is flat-out mind-blowing in scope, because there's this miracle that happens, it's so easy for us to yawn and say, well, didn't I? Haven't I heard that sermon before? That message? And then number two, when you read it, four verses, there are so few details. I mean, can you imagine the storm coming up and the reactions of the disciples and, uh, and Jesus, trying to picture Jesus sleeping there? And, and so I want to embellish the story a bit, but it's only four verses. And I want to borrow for a little bit from Mark, because Mark talks about this, and borrow a little bit from Matthew, and then at least maybe we could put together a really nice story, but that's not really a very good way to interpret the Bible, I've learned. So then I'm not really fond, when I look at the story, of the way Jesus rebukes the disciples. I don't like that. I mean, have you ever been at sea? I mean or some other high-stress potential catastrophe, and here they are risking their lives. They are out there hustling to bail out the water, and they're on edge, and what does he do? First of all, he sleeps. And I'm thinking, I don't really like that response either from Jesus. And then he chews them out for sleeping. And then finally, if that wasn't enough reasons for not liking the passage, I decided that uh, the miracle itself does not seem all that repeatable in our context, making it hard for us to apply. I mean, are we going to conclude that when Jesus is with us, storms won't destroy us, or cancer won't kill or the drunk driver will coast harmlessly to a stop. And this seems to be the implication of Jesus' rebuke. Where is your faith? Well, let's back up for just a moment. And I hope you're in a better place than I am. And I got to a better place by the end of the week, incidentally. So you'll hear from that. The Sea of Galilee, 686 feet below sea level, 
and it's wedged in this rift between the Arabian Desert and the Mediterranean Sea, and therefore the winds can come through there in a hurry, and often unexpectedly the water will churn. And it's a big enough body of water to quickly feel like you are in a nightmare when just a few minutes before you thought everything was okay. But a nightmare was only Jesus who was asleep. And the fact that Jesus slept seems to imply that he was below deck. Maybe that's an interpretation. But if that's the case, then this is a good-sized vessel, probably not your normal, even normal, everyday ship, uh, uh, fishing vessel. And the NIV translation says that, he, that the, they were swamped. Literally, the boat was overwhelmed, or you could say literally, the boat was hidden in the waves. And it was full of people, presumably the disciples, but probably others as well that were crossing over. And so it was tossing and thrashing, and water is coming in from all sides. And in any emergency like this, the only message is all hands on deck. Bail out the water because the danger is real. And in verse 24, the Scripture says, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And that double use of the word master indicates that they are at the height of your urgency. They're going to perish. We're going to die. Now, what is our point of connection with the story so far? It might not be in the specific circumstances of this story, since we are in Missouri, unless we're down at Lake of the Ozark, maybe. But we're not on the ocean or on the coast. We're not at Lake Michigan or even some other big body of water. But here's the connection. Don't we have very similar feelings of helplessness? Certain circumstances in our lives leave us feeling at great risk, vulnerable. Now, we're good church people, so most of us really don't want to bring all that up at church. And yet, if we could share our hearts, we'd find a lot of it within the lives of each one here. In fact, I could ask a question, what situations leave you feeling a similar helplessness? Let me help for just a minute. Maybe it's the loss of a spouse. I was, we were in Nashville speaking at the Donaldson Church just a couple weeks ago, and several of the people that knew us from years back were there, and and, and they were dealing not just with the loss of a spouse, but the loss of a spouse's health. 
or my spouse is really struggling with dementia. And so our lives are changed. Or maybe it's a loss of a relationship or a loss of job or a loss of health when you have an uncertain health situation right now. Maybe it is the inability to pay the bills or it is some medical news that you have recently received or you're fearful of receiving. Let me personalize for just a minute, if that'd be okay. I thought first a little bit more on the humorous side, but on Monday we had the ice storm. On Tuesday, Becky says, uh, okay, we're supposed to show up at Steger Automotive down the street for uh, the oil change for her, her Mazda, and honey, would you take that in? So I was driving out of the, our driveway, and a car was coming, so I stopped about 20 feet before the edge of the street, and I did okay stopping, and she never lets me drive the car, okay? So it was quite a privilege. I hit the gas and slide right across the, out of, through, the, through our driveway across the street and hit the mailbox on the other side of the street, not our mailbox, but the neighbor's. I look back, it's still standing, so I just press the gas and go. I get over to Chris Seeger. He looks at it and said, yeah, I know a good guy <laughs> that can help with this, but you're going to have to turn it into your insurance company. So I'm thinking, okay, it's still early morning. How do I tell Becky? Prayed about it. Shared it with the staff. Steve Walker calls me about that time, and we have a good laugh about it, and I'm preparing my speech for Becky. Finally, I get up about six hours into this, give her a call, and she's at the grocery store. Thank God she's not going to react while she's in there. And I said, Becky, you know that little dent in the fender that you did last year? We're going to be able to get that fixed. <laughs> but we all have these kind of calamities in our life, and that one worked through. And in fact, our relationship is, she reacted so well. I'm just so proud of her. <laughs> but I have to admit, boy, the financial insecurities that we're feeling, they're real. I mean, the costs of things, the cost of living, the cost of going out to eat, the cost of just the basic expenses, the, 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 the repairing the car, the, trying to think about retirement for some of us, and just feeling inadequate on knowing how to ever get there. But then we can notch it up. This past week was also difficult. It was at the Grimshaw home where we also live, as Gates had two more seizures this past week, and the other kids were sick here and there, and, 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 and just the threshold of stress that goes up in the household, and as you watch the poor boy, because that feeling of helplessness is profound when that's happening, sort of sent the stress in our house through the roof. Well, each of these storms, when we look below our feelings, 
grow out of a thought process. And I don't know which ones you're thinking about right at the moment. And, and I suspect that if you're like me, we doubt God's power or intervention maybe in that time, or we don't even think about it at all, and certainly may even forget His presence. And deep down, we might say, well, God might really care, but is He great enough or powerful enough or willing enough to do something for me? Or likewise, we might say, God is really powerful, I know that, but does He care enough about my situation to practically intervene? And if we answer, well, no, then it's really hard to make this text make sense. And I think these thoughts are working on us. Faith, I believe, helped me overcome my own belief, and we're kind of caught, caught in this day in and day out, where it's not even always particularly conscious, but on a subconscious level, we believe and we doubt. Now, let's return to the scene for just a moment and assume for a moment that the disciples have great faith in Jesus instead of the faith that they seem to extend. What would have happened and how would the story have been written? And how would it have looked differently? If, if, if the storm, would, would the storm still have come up if they'd had great faith? Yes. Is the boat going to toss and turn and still be hidden in the waves if they had great faith? Yes. Could they have potentially been swamped by the storm? Are their lives still at risk? Yes. If they had great faith, would they have awakened Jesus? I don't know. So what is different about a life of faith and a life of unbelief? Here's what they said to the master in Luke 8, 24. They went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And then they get rebuked. What if they had said rather, and if we had written the story differently, or had Luke written it differently, if the disciples had demonstrated great faith, and the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, will you please save us? That might have been a fantastic response. Or, Master, our confidence is you, is in you. You see, one is hopeless. the way the Bible writes it. And the other responses are hope-filled. But I'm not going to let us resolve the story quite that easily. You see, in the areas of life where I feel most helpless, I don't want us to move, or I, I don't want as the preacher 
to simply assume that we can move to easy believism. Somehow to quickly say in our deepest helplessness, well, God's got this. Yeah. Or God will calm every storm in your life. See, here's why. Bad things continue to happen, and they are going to continue to happen. And they happen to people who do not have faith, and they happen to people who do have faith. So here's the best I can do. My take. Christ can, but does not always choose to calm the storm on the outside. Christ can always, through our faith, calm the storm inside of us because Christ can be trusted in all things. And I hope that I haven't simply made a psychological move. And by that, I mean that somehow this is all in our mind. That we can, because our mind has the power to choose that it is not the circumstances that matter most, but our interpretation of his circumstances. There's great power in our mind. We choose how we think. This I believe to be true. However, because we think something is true or not true does not make it so. We may fool our own minds, but the Christian faith is founded on a deeper reality, a larger biblical reality. And here is the reality that regardless of the storm, calmed or not calmed, Christ rules. He's in control and He reigns over nature and over circumstances, over creation, that's it. That's the faith I know. And that is not an easy truth to accept, because let me point out from our Bible itself, was Christ in control when John the Baptist lost his head to death Was Christ in control as the greatest missionary ever? Paul was imprisoned again. Was Christ in control as Jerusalem was demolished by Rome in A.D. 70? Was Christ in control as Jesus hung from the cross, helpless and powerless? Still, if I believe Jesus is saying, what the Bible is saying is that you can always choose to trust the calming power of Christ in the panic of the storm. God's never promised that our lives are going to be free from storms, even really, really bad ones. However, we can learn to live with this presence, His calming presence, because of who He is. One more thing in our text. 
Scripture says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You see, while the disciples are asking the question in our story, the rest of the gospel of Luke is trying to answer this question. Who is this? And Luke paints a picture from the ground up. He's a baby. He's a boy. He's a man. He's a teacher. He's a prophet. He's a king. He's transcendent. He's cosmic. He is exalted over all. And it took the disciples several years to recognize who he was. And it will take us time as well. We need to sit at his feet. We need to walk with him. And we need to call out to him during the storms. Only then will we see how deep his deliverance really is. Now, I want to give you one slide on the resources that we can count on every moment of every day, even when the miracle that we're desiring does not seem to be happening at this very moment. God's resources to carry you through the storm, the presence of a living Christ with you, the Word of God, the church, your community that is going to help carry you, the transformation that you can expect that you are going from one degree of glory to another. Good things are happening in you as you're being renewed day by day through the storm and an unimaginable future with God. We can count on these things. We're going to sing in a minute a song. And uh, I've always loved the song. I think most of us have loved the song, It Is Well With My Soul. When Peace Like a River. Some of you might know the backdrop to this song. Horatio G. Spafford lost his four daughters. He's sending them across the ocean from the U.S. to Europe on a ship. Mom was with him. Lost the four daughters. Only his wife survived. She sent a cable back to her husband with two words. Can you imagine hearing these for the first time? Saved alone. And he wrote this song. And I want us to think about it for just a moment. When peace like a river 
attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Then look at these three words. Whatever my lot. Whatever comes. Whatever the circumstances. Whatever God has in mind. Whatever storm, I cannot seem to sidestep or subside. Thou hast taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. Here's the truth of the passage. I believe God is, through His Word, trying to speak to us today. Will you choose the calm of Christ with confidence.